In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Today we've come to the second time on a Sunday. Us priests, we kind of always chuckle. What are we going to preach on again? Because above the 52 Sundays that we have, we get to this account twice on a Sunday morning. So the church must be drawing our attention to some very important aspect because we get to hear it twice on the day that we always gather, on the Lord's Day, the Sunday morning. And what I want to focus on this morning is one particular line. But we must understand what this line is telling us, this line from the gospel, in a context. So what is that line? When the villagers came back out, the shepherds, after getting their attention, what did they find? They found the man from whom the demons had been cast out, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. In order to understand how radical this, that this exists, that this event happened, this healing and the casting out, this exorcism happened, we need to understand what Christ had just come from doing and what our Lord is demonstrating. And we need to also understand the reality of the demonic influence and what they seek to do. So let's begin there. The reality of the demonic. The reality of demons and their twisted, fallen, evil desire for human beings. Because that's the reality. What is a demon? It's one who thoroughly hates humanity. One who despises mankind. And so what do they seek to do? They seek to dehumanize us. They attack the image of God by whatever means they can. What are the symptoms that this man had that, he, he's, that he's described as being like? When we look at these, we see all of the tactics of the demons going toward this one poor, possessed man. He was naked, lacking his human dignity as he wandered among the abode of the dead, among the tombs in the wilderness on the side of, of the village. He wasn't allowed within the human community because of his possession. And he displayed an inhuman desire to assert his power over others through violence. And he harmed himself, marring the very body that is the image of God whom he is about to stand before our Lord. So these four things, the lack of human dignity, the obsession with the things of the dead and dwelling among them, the self-harm and the violence, these are all the markers of demonic influence over the world, over our lives. The Father's focus on this as the markers. It's a lesson for us to recognize when the reality of demonic warfare is happening. The demoniac had all of these and was completely under their oppression, completely unable to have freedom, to be a, a man, to be a human being in relation with God. And the nearby villages, they knew that. They knew that they were unable to resolve this issue because they chained him, and the chains could not, chains could not keep this man from wreaking chaos and violence throughout the countryside. 
And we can also know something of the demons by how they respond when our Lord does set foot on that land and they begin to talk with him. They go back and forth between what St. Theoflact calls impudence, meaning that they are bold toward Christ and they are telling him what he can and cannot do, but then they swing the other direction and are greatly fearful because they know that their words are empty and that our Lord has all power and authority over them. So they swing between impudence and fear. And so often in our lives we see that we act the same way when our Lord draws near to us. We both desire for that meeting and also we seek that we don't want it quite all the way because there's a part of us that is attached to perhaps the demonic influence. But we also know and can have that good fear of God that we do desire to be changed and to draw close to Him. And so even in the demons talking with God and going back and forth from here, our Lord begins to bend what their words are to teach us a great lesson. He uses them, and he cannot be stopped. And that's really the great lesson that we're coming to, having known and seeing the effect of the demons. Where was it that, what is it that Christ had just done? Maybe perhaps some of you know this. This event where our Lord comes and meets the demoniac possessed by the lesion, he has just calmed the stores of the Sea of Galilee. St. Justin Popovich draws our attention to this, and I want to quote from it because it puts everything in a whole new context. Our Lord has just calmed the seas by a word, and the apostles ask him a question that goes unanswered verbally by our Lord. Who is this that can calm the storms of the sea? Who is this man? That question is left hanging in the air as they journey through the calm waters toward Gadara and, Ger and Gergesa, this wilderness between the two cities where they meet the demoniac. And St. Justin says this. This is what our Lord is teaching them. This healing, this casting out, this exorcism is the answer to that question. He says this. The Lord Christ teaches an eternal and awesome wonder. The tamer of the sea showed forth that material nature was obedient to him. So the question arose, are the agitated obedient to him? The whirling of the passions and the devil-possessed soul of man. He knows the hidden things of matter and has power over them. So does he know now the mystery of the human soul, of human thoughts, of human coming together, of human cutting off? And does he have power over these? He has indeed demonstrated that he knows this also by this miracle, by this exorcism, that he has power over this mystery as well. The Lord Christ transfers the physical miracle to make it a miracle of a spiritual kind. So what is this? In sum, it's the total taking these two counts together of showing our Lord's total authority and total power over both matter the things uh, that we can touch and feel, smell and taste, and over that invisible realm as well that he has authority, over the spiritual realm. Christ knows that the demoniacs hoard that legion's hatred for his beloved creation, 
And so he goes purposefully to Gadara, to Gagesa, to where he is, to show that he has power even over the lovers of violence and the lovers of chaos who seek to oppress his beloved creation. So the master, our Lord, breaks the bonds that takes away the dignity of humankind. Those things that wrap us bound and bound us and he shatters the weapons of violence used against us. Jesus Christ frees us that we may be united to him. Jesus deals with the wind and the sea and the demons as one who is wielding full and complete authority with command and power, you can say. But how does he deal with us? Because when that man is sitting before the feet of Jesus, he has dealt with his beloved creation in a different manner. For us, there is an act of our will, an act that needs to be activated for our freedom to be there, to remain in that freedom that he has earned for us. We can choose, in other words, to draw near to him and to remain with him. He desires that we be like this man, restored and in our right mind, and by that unity, that healing, to come under his protection and his loving and all-powerful authority. In other words, to be free once again. But there's another layer here, the people of Gadara. What do they do? When they see that this man has been cast, has been healed, that he's sitting in his right mind, they become fearful, but not in the fear of God's sense. They are fearful because their world has changed. They were comfortable in their situation, even with the demoniac wreaking havoc in their wilderness. They paid no mind to the freedom that this man now was evidently experiencing before them. And they only thought of what they had lost when our Lord allowed the demons to be cast into the pigs, and then the pigs flung themselves into the abyss anyway. There's sort of an irony here that we can miss. The demons ask, it's not our time. Lord, in their impudence, do not cast us into the abyss, but send us into these pigs. And the pigs, they leap off the cliff and into the abyss anyway. Their wish and the command of our Lord still happens. But the people of Gergesa, they are blind. They're unable to marvel at the authority and power of God. They're unable to proclaim even to think or respond in awe as the disciples did when they saw what happened on the Sea of Galilee. They're unable to see how their land is now again theirs and not the abode of the demonic chaos and violence that was there with the legion. Instead, what do they do? They reject Jesus. They ask him to leave their presence. It's the inverse. What we see here is an inverse of what happened in the Samaritan city with St. Fotini, where Christ goes and reveals all that St. Fotini ever knew and ever did, and they run to Christ and embrace him and host him in their city for many days. So we have always this choice, my dear brothers and sisters. We can be like the Gadarenes, or we can be like the Samaritan city. We have this, but our Lord journeys. He travels across the sea to us to be in our presence, to free us in his presence, to cast out all of the passions 
that royal in us, that is that demonic influence, all of those sins and habits that we may have that we know our Lord desires more for us. He enables the way and he journeys to us. But then we have the choice. Will we be like that man who desired the freedom from the oppression of the demons? Or will we say, this is too much. Go to another place, O Lord. St. Ambrose, in his looking at this, says that the meaning of the demons that are driving the man into the wilderness can be like us. When we desire to be in the wilderness, we're barren of the virtues and we're banished by the law. We don't have virtue when, unless we are under Christ's authority. And this is what our Lord came to do for this man. Anytime we gripe and we moan about the cost of being a Christian, of what our Lord is calling us to, we're something like the Gadarenes. Whenever we set aside our earthly cares and we rejoice in the liberation that our Lord has, we're like the man who is exercised of the demons and like that Samaritan city that hosted him. So what are we supposed to do? What do we take home, Father? What do we go do? We need to be like the man in the Samaritan city who counts it all joy and receives Christ and sits at his feet because then we are under his authority and we know that he loves us in that experience. And there are many ways to remember this that our church gives us in and from the church. This is really what worship does for us as a people. It's a remembrance of what God has done for us and gives us. You can remember, if you've ever read through a Paraclesis service or an Akathis service, essentially these are services proclaiming the great authority of God and what he has done for us, a constant reminder uh, to us. We can remember what sins and passions we have been saved from, and have joy in the freedom of our now redeemed state. It's a good practice to review and say, Lord, thank you for what you have brought me to, to remember these things, and to remember and list those things which we are repenting of and will repent for and have repented, will continue to, as we change and gain a new and right mind, as this man had. These are ways that we can go and take up the Christian life, and I want to offer one more. We can remember the promises of our Lord that are given to us, and that is where we place our hope. His church, that is where our hope springs from, because there the promise of God lived, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. His glorious second coming is yet another promise from which we place our hope, that this world will be redeemed, when he comes and the resurrection of the dead, we will sit, just like him, at the feet of Christ in our bodies and in our right minds. We can remember that upon our Lord's return, he comes to restore all of us to peace and our right minds if we but accept his power and his authority. That is what he demonstrates for us, and this is what our church, because we read it twice every year, at least every year, two ice on a Sunday. And this is one of the things that our church is reminding us, that remembrance of where our hope lies. It's in Christ who has authority through all things. So we ask that Christ come and that he save the lost and the broken, all those who are under the sway of passions and demonic influence out of the abundance of his love, that he grant us grace to receive the healing 
that he has and is offering to us to grant us a heart overflowing with thankfulness and a steadfast trust in his providence, that we may glorify and praise his name in every instant as we remember what he has done and what he will do in our whole life. May we be worthy of his name that is sealed upon us at our baptisms and at our chrismations, and be receivers and givers of his peace and of his healing. Amen.